0: Well, if you would, turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter 21, and as you do, um, it's not often that I get to fill a pulpit and the pastor be present, um, and it's, uh, it's good that that's the case today, and, and it's my prayer because uh, Ted has ministered faithfully to me. Uh, in our relationship, uh, he may not know how much, um, but it is it is my privilege to hopefully, um, f- for all of us, but, uh, but for Ted to have the opportunity to sit under the preaching of God's Word and participate with us at the Lord's table and hopefully return to him what he has been so faithful to do for me, and that is to minister to me. And so I'm. Um, Ted, I'm thankful. I'm grateful to be here. Um, It's good to be back here in Siloam. Uh, You've all heard the phrase, I'm sure, uh, don't miss the forest for the trees. Uh, It's it's a very common phrase, and if you've never heard it before, let me just let you know It, it means that we don't want to get so focused on the details of something that we miss the larger picture Uh, Sometimes if you're a detailed oriented person, you can focus on those uh, individual things but miss the larger picture, and we don't want to do that. Uh, We need to consider the details, but not um, forsake the larger picture in so doing. Um, I think it's very easy for us to do that today. Uh, This is Palm Sunday. Um, I think it's possible for us to miss some of the details, particularly uh, of this passage, in light of the grander context of Passion Week or Easter. Um, We can miss uh, these specific details that I think are, are very, very important for us today as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. As a matter of fact, I think it's possible that we can, by focusing, and this sounds funny, but we can look at or be focused so much on the grander context that we can miss what the Lord would have have for us about who Christ is today. And, and I say that because there, there is, well, there are a great number of details that are very significant and we can look at and be, be so focused on next Sunday that we can miss, Uh, The importance of what took place the week before in moving us toward Easter. Uh, And as a matter of fact, that's exactly what's happening with the crowd here in Matthew 21. They're focused on the big picture. Now it's a picture that they've created in some respects. It's a picture that they've painted And they're so focused on that that they're missing the details that are right in front of them. They're looking for a Messiah, but their perception of the Messiah, their desire for what they want that Messiah to do is getting in the way of the Messiah that's come. And they miss the details that pointed exactly to what that Messiah had come to do. So my hope is today that we don't do either of those things, that we're not so focused on next week. Or we, we don't create, or we haven't created in our own minds a perception of who Christ is. That we miss the significance of Jesus being the King of Kings and Lord of Lords that He truly is. I want us to see the significance in the details to eliminate any faulty perceptions we might have. I, I don't want us to miss Christ. So, if you would, let's stand together in honor of the reading of God's Word. We're going to read from Matthew chapter 21 and read verses 1 to 11. Hear now the Word of the Lord. When they had approached Jerusalem and had come to Bethpage at the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village opposite you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied, tied there and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord has need of them, and immediately he will send them. This took place. Uh, to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, gentle and mounted on a donkey, even a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. The disciples went and did just as Jesus had instructed them and brought the donkey and the colt and laid their coats on them. And he sat on the coats. Most of the crowd spread their coats in the road and others were cutting branches from the trees and spreading them in the road. The crowds going ahead of them and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he had heard or when he had entered Jerusalem, all the city was stirring saying, who is this? And the crowds were saying, this is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth. In Galilee. Let's pray together. Father our our prayer is simply that we would not miss Christ. As Ted has already prayed. Open our eyes and our ears. That we might see and hear him. In Jesus name we pray. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Well, I've, I've broken this down. I'm sorry I don't have anything in front of you, um, but I've broken this down in, into four, uh, really four sections, uh, four points. Um, and you know I've been here enough. You know that I love my alliteration. Um, some of that is from my, my past life uh, as a Baptist, but I, <laughs> I, I still love doing that. So there are four things this morning. There's an overarching passion. Uh, there is an obvious plan. There's an obliging parade and, oblivious and, and an oblivious people. Let's start first with uh, our overarching passion. In verse 1 it says, When they had approached Jerusalem and come to Bethpage at the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples. Now, for the last four chapters, if you're familiar with the Gospel of Matthew, for the last four chapters... Uh, Jesus has been purposefully communicating with those who are following him that they are on their way to Jerusalem and that there is a purpose that we'll get to in a minute for their going to Jerusalem. Uh, Chapter 16 verse 21 says, from that time Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised up on the third day. He had turned. Jesus had turned His face toward Jerusalem. His passion was to fulfill the will of His Father. This is a new stage that has begun. The page was turning. He was passionate about following through with the agenda that He had. Now, we know as we read through the Gospels that He was willing to pause and He was willing to join the agenda of others... But in so doing, he never turned his back on his true purpose or the agenda that the father had set for him. He was involved in good things and they were commendable things. But none of those things at any point jeopardized the bigger agenda. He was resolute in what he had intended to do. He was resolute in his purpose. He was unwavering and unyielding in what the Father had set Him to do. He was unbendable and His objective was was going to be accomplished. And He was going to see to that. He knew He had to go to Jerusalem. He knew He must suffer. He knew He must die. He knew He must rise again from the dead. And we struggle with that. Honestly, I, I, at least I do. And like His disciples, we, we struggle a little bit with that resoluteness. We struggle with that passion. We struggle with that intensity. We struggle with that in, uh, determination a bit. We, we don't really understand that. And, I, and I, I think we have trouble with that for, for two or three. Well, there are several reasons. But two or three that I thought of this week. First, you know, we are inundated with choices. Um, I was at the, I've been at the hospital. See, well, practically every day for the last two weeks with the sweet, sweet woman, West. Uh, she is in the latter stages, the, the last season of her life. Um, and, and even there, in the midst of that, as as we sat in the, the do, uh, in the in the hospital room, the surgeon comes in and he lays out for her, which. Which you, know, you would think they're just kind of, there's just one choice, but he lays out two or three choices in the midst of what she's going through. And I was confused by that. But, it, but it's really the time in which we live. We, we, for some reason, we think we're owed multiple options. We have to have 562 television channels. Right? Right? Uh, we have to, uh, well, you can just imagine that the, the, the choices are before us, even in the midst of the latter stages of life, there are multiple choices it seems to how to go about that. And, and so because we're always faced with multiple choices, we don't understand this this determination and this this focus on one, one, in one direction, one purpose, and one goal. I think we also struggle with it because as William Law said a long time ago, we we always choose according um, to the strongest inclination at the time. And the problem is our inclinations are all affected by sin and our inclinations change with our emotions and circumstances. And so, when our emotions change, or when circumstances change, or whatever the strongest inclination, our inclinations change, and because of our sins, so what, you know, our path one day differs from the path the next day. And we struggle with maintaining our focus on one purpose and one goal. And then finally, you know, we live in a culture when. You know, For us as believers, any any passion we might have, any commitment we might have, any resolve that we might have is considered negative. For believers today, if we are to hold to one passion and to be that unyielding, we're considered intolerant and inflexible and rigid. And rather than please the Lord, we struggle and we desire to please men. And so we we, we stray from that which we know we are to do and... And basically, we struggle with being resolute and dependable and maintaining our soulfulness. So, even though we're called to take up our cross and to follow Him, and even though we're called to be resolute in our following of Him, even though we're called to be unyielding in our devotion to Him, even though we're to be unwavering in our affection for Him, uh, even though we're to be determined in our obedience to Him, we fail. And yet we sing all to Jesus, I surrender. But do we really? But fortunately for us, for you and for me today, Jesus surrendered all for us. He remained resolute. His face was pointed to Jerusalem. He was not going to waver. He was passionate about his goal. He was to suffer and to die and to rise again. And he remained faithful despite our unfaithfulness. And because he remained faithful, he has set us free. And he set us free that we might follow him. He has set us free that we might love him. He has set us free that we might obey him. And we rest in him even when we fail. Why? Because his resoluteness, his determination, his passion, his unyielding life has been credited to us. It's been credited to our account. So when we fail, we rest in him. He was, he had a passion, and he fulfilled that passion. But not only is there a passion there, there's also an obvious plan. Uh, There's also an obvious plan. Verse 1 again, he says, When they had approached Jerusalem and had come to Bethpage at Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village opposite you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied there and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me, and if anyone says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord is need of them." And immediately He will send them. And this took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, gentle and mounted on a donkey, even a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. And the disciples went and did just as Jesus had instructed them. The plan was in place. The plan was in place and it was obvious. Every detail had been ordained. There was not a part of this plan that was a surprise. And we see this in several ways. We've already mentioned Jesus was reiterating over and over and over. This is what I'm going to do. This is what we are about to enter into. He didn't want there to be any question of why they were going. There shouldn't have been any point at at that time. Now why are we going to Jerusalem again? He had made that very clear. The next clue is that the the donkey and the foal are right where Jesus said they would be. And then on top of that. The donkey and the foal were right where Zechariah said they would be, fulfilling the prophecy in Zechariah nine. And not only did it fulfill that prophecy, but it's it's really um, it's really um, fitting from a symbolic standpoint, right? He calls it Zechariah calls it a, a beast of burden. What better for Jesus to ride in on? What better animal to ride in on for, for the one who was going to carry the burden of sin? What better animal to ride in on than a beast of burden? And then how fitting for him to ride on the smallest of the two animals, as Zechariah said, humble from the very beginning, humble to the end. But if that weren't enough, we we see, and if, we, if you go through the book of John and you read through um, kind of his, his take on, on all that's, that's going on here. And you kind of do the math and you, in, in the calendar and all that's going on there. Uh, we see that Jesus at, at this point is, is fulfilling Exodus 12, 2-6. We see that Je- Jesus enters in on the 10th day of Nisan on that Monday. It matches up to the calendar of 30 AD. He comes in on the 10th day of Nisan. He's he's killed, crucified on the 14th day. So in reality, Jerusalem has, has brought in the lamb. Jerusalem has sacrificed the lamb just as Jerusalem has done for hundreds of years. But just not as they anticipated it's always been a part of the plan. And then on top of that, he uses men, ordinary average guys, to be a part of that plan. He he invites others. Jesus could have whistled, Jesus could have just I think back to the Lone Ranger and, and the Lone Ranger being able to, to call his horse and no matter where he was. Uh, no matter where the horse might be, no matter where the Lone Ranger was, he could call the name of the horse, and, and the horse would be right there. Jesus f- certainly could have done that. But instead, he chooses to use others. He, because he delights in the faithful servant. Uh, he delights in the faithful service of those who are delighted in him. Right? Jesus uses others. The disciples were told to go, they went. Uh, The the, the others that owned the animals were told to give their animals to them, and they did. Brothers and sisters, we can take heart this morning. that None of this is a part of plan B. None of of this was uh, a way of overcoming some um, unruly crowd or an obstinate people. In no way was to somehow deal with power-hungry religious leaders. It was always to be this way. Peter himself puts it in Acts chapter 2 as he's preaching there in Jerusalem, right? All of this was according to the predetermined plan of God. Every bit of it. And we rest in that. We rest in that this has always been the way it was always to be. But not only that we we take heart because he has for whatever reason determined that we can be a part of that redemptive plan. He's made us a part of that redemptive plan by saving us. But he also uses us in that redemptive plan as history moves forward. We've we've been granted grace that we can minister to one another in his name. We've been granted grace that we can minister to our neighbor in his name. All we have to do is be willing to be used. And as I said the last time that I was here, we don't have to be world changers. Just looking for obedience. In the faithful. In the faithfulness in the day to day. In what seems to be little and insignificant. He uses. He chooses to use for His glory. Right where we are. Such a marvelous plan. Well. We move into the, the obliging parade. I, I know. I, I forced that a little bit. For the alliteration. But I I, think, I try to explain that. Uh, as we go here in verse six, he says, the disciples went and did just that Jesus had instructed him, um, them, and they brought the donkey and the colt. They laid their coats on him and he sat on their coats. Most of the crowd spread their coats in the road. Others were cutting branches from the trees and spreading them in the road. The crowds going ahead of him and those who followed were shouting Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he had entered Jerusalem, all the city was stirred. Uh, from what I can gather as I, as I studied. That there on a normal day in Jerusalem. Probably population of about 25,000 at this time. Uh, there are a wide, a wide range of estimates in regards to Passover. Anywhere from 3 million down to about 180,000 depending. Uh, but the most common number was around 2 million. Now. No matter what the number, the the truth was the same. The the place was overflowing with people. People were everywhere. There there was a bit of excitement. Most of the people uh, had not seen, personally seen, or heard Jesus, but they had heard about him. Uh, Those that had been with him went ahead of them and and were telling others. And so word was spreading. and, there was, and so there was an excitement of Jesus coming, but there was also the excitement of the Passover. And so when we read that uh, he, when he entered, all the city was stirred. That, that same word is where we get our word seismic. Right? So the, the excitement was shaking the city. That's, that's, how, that's, that's the emotion at this point. So Jesus enters and people begin to line the streets with their coats. They're, they're picking up branches. And, and we know from 2 Corinthians chapter, 19, or chapter 9, verse 13, that this is really kind of an ancient custom of respect and submission to a monarch. They're waving the palm branches. They're shouting the messianic title of Son of David. So there's, there's really no doubt as we read through this that a parade has begun for a king. I mean, Luke even says that. That's how Luke describes what's going on. A parade for a king. And I've, I've given this the, the title of an obliged parade. Because whether they knew it or not. And we'll look at just a minute at how much they didn't know. Or what they thought they knew. Um, Jesus has come at that point in time to save now. Just as their hosannas reflected. Jesus had come to deliver them just as they were asking as they quoted Psalm 118. Like I said, we'll find out in a minute, it was different. Their idea of saving and delivering was a little bit different. But they are having a parade for a king. And this is not only well deserved but necessary because, as we've said, Jesus is the King of kings and Lord of lords. He is obliged. They, they, do, they do owe him. These accolades, they do owe him this honor. They owe him this parade because of who he is. He he actually is, alone is worthy of this honor. And and today, there's no difference. There's no difference today. You know, everybody's excited right now. Because everybody, at least if you're a basketball fan. Everybody's excited right now and hoping that there's a parade in Chicago next week. They want Loyola, and they'll line the streets as they do for any athletic team, and the ticker tape will fall, and everybody will be excited, and there'll be speeches given. But what are those really? You know, honoring those who played. Um, I think we've we were watching um, the Crown, and you've watched the Crown, and and we would watch and, and as Queen Elizabeth would ride down the road in the parades in, in her honor and any, any monarch. And, but all of those things pale in comparison to the parade that's owed the Lord Jesus. He and he alone is, is deserving of accolades and praise. He and he alone is deserving and worthy of a parade to honor royalty. He and he alone... is the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. He and He alone will remain the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. No one else is deserving of our loyalty. No one else is deserving of our submission. No one else is deserving of of respect and devotion like the Lord Jesus. But that brings us to this idea of them being oblivious. And oblivious people... In verse 10, he says, And when he had entered Jerusalem, all the city was stirred, saying, Who is this? And the crowds were saying, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth in Galilee. And this is one of the most open displays of honor exhibited in the Gospels. This, this royal parade. And it's rightly bestowed. And rightly received by Christ, because anything less would deny who he was, it was a time to openly proclaim him as the Messiah, because he had come to save, he had come to deliver. But the people were praising him for all the wrong reasons. Again, as I mentioned when we began, they were praising him for a perception, because of a perception that they had created in their mind, for a big picture that they had established that was different. And because of that big picture, they had missed. The details, And by the way, as a side note, that we should never use excitement or the lack of excitement as a gauge by which we determine what is true or spiritually true. Because here's this fervor. Here's this excitement. And yet they were missing it. They were honoring him as a great king, but a great military king. Their hope was that he had come to save them and deliver them, not from their sins, but from from Roman tyranny. They had come expecting him to deliver them materially and physically rather than spiritually. They were praising him, yes, because he had had healed people and he had raised the dead and the hungry had been fed. And he had taught wonderful lessons and they were even quoting scripture. But they were missing it. They had created a, a Messiah in their own minds, in their own image. He was a prophet or he was the prophet from Galilee, but he was not. They weren't celebrating him and honoring him and worshiping him as the prophet, priest, and king of the scripture. There there would be a time when he would arrive on a white horse and not a donkey. There there would be a time when he would arrive in a regal robe. But that robe will be dipped in blood rather than peasant's clothes And and he, there would be a time, will be a time when he will arrive with heavenly armies accompanying him. And he would come, and he he will come. Not then, but there is a day when he will come and rule with a rod of iron, crushing his enemies. But not today. Not today. Today he came on that donkey. He came as a suffering servant. He came and and took on that as we as we go through this week, and as we'll be reminded, he took on the crown of thorns. He came as that servant. He came in submission to the desire of his father, right? Because it was the it was it pleased the father to crush him. So Jesus wasn't giving in to the whims of. Of the people around him. And he he would wear a crown. Not a thorns. But a, a royal crown. But only after the cross. And that's where so many miss it today. We live in a time. When there are many who profess Christ. We live in a time. When many get excited about spiritual things. We live in a time when people may verbally confess and outwardly express their devotion to Jesus. Or we live in a time when when people are even following and doing those moral things that they believe that Jesus has, has taught or had taught. But in the end, we live in a time when people are still following their own perception of who Jesus is. Their own picture that they have that they've painted, because they're, when the when it's all said and done, they're seeking to be satisfied physically and material, materially, rather than spiritually. They miss the fact that the greatest need they have is salvation from their sin. And the truth of the matter is, Jesus is not a means to an end; He is the end. It's not about what our desire should not be. What can what can he offer or, or what happens is we focus on on the gifts rather than the giver of the gifts. And we look at the world around us and people, people are are looking for satisfaction through those those gifts and, and, and forsaking the giver of those gifts. They, they're missing. They're missing who who provides those? And, and, and again, Jesus is a means to an not an end in himself. And so we look today, and we and the, and the question is very simple. We, we have a call to respond. When Christ is presented, we have a call to respond. And the questions are do, do you know Jesus as your King? Do you confess him to be Lord and Savior? Because there are only two alternatives. There are not multiple options. We have two alternatives. Rest in Him and His redemptive work. Or await and realize His iron rule. And the first, to rest in His redemptive work, is experiencing by repenting of your sin. And by turning away from it and toward God. And accepting the forgiveness that God offers through Jesus Christ. And... Offered through His his blood. His work on the cross. To to rest in His redemptive work. Our our confession says we're to accept, receive, and rest. In the person and work of Christ. that, That is saving faith. But the second is experiencing by just the opposite. By refusing to acknowledge your sin. And refusing to rest. And rejecting the person and work of the Lord. Jesus. It doesn't get any simpler than that. Because the truth of the matter is, Christ is king, whether you or I admit it or not. His position is not dependent upon whether we agree or accept it. He is what He is. For us today, it's receive Him or reject Him. There's no third option. There is no middle. Choose you this day who you will serve. Let's pray together.